igniting original concepts. You felt like you were really making a difference for them. Why wouldn't you do that? The biggest challenge that you have is not to... You're going to have disruptions all the time. If you want something different, you have to be willing to do something different. You're listening to Forest FM, the salon business show with your host, Zoe Gorilla Springer. For your industry, by your industry. In September of 2023, Verna Wall, head of research at Forrest, and her team reached out to Forrest clients and asked them, what one question would you like us to ask the best salons around the world? Unsurprisingly, an overwhelming number of responses centered around the theme of teams. So questions such as, how do I attract and retain good staff? How do I engage and motivate my team? How do you give great staff care without overgiving to them all the time? What are the top five mistakes top salons make? How do you manage staff when you don't work in the salon daily? Or how do you create a balance so that everybody wins? These questions led Verna and Rich Cullen, lead product designer, to look through Forrest's data for salons performing exceptionally well in the realm of staff performance. They looked at utilization, staff retention, revenue, rebooking rates, client retention, request rates, retail percentage, and staff goals. Their findings were presented in a 50-minute, brilliant keynote presentation at the Salon Owner Summit 2024. And what they found, through extensive hours of interviews with salon owners from all over the world, was that all salons with a high-performing team had a well-defined and well-disciplined culture. In a nutshell, that was the secret. But saying that without digging deeper wouldn't be of any help to you listening. Because knowing what works, how, and when it's working is vital information for sustainable change. You're an owner, good for you. But what type of leader do you want to be? That's, that's the question. What we're looking at is essentially um, how well aware are you of your own behavior and the beha- have, what's your acknowledgement of the behaviors of others around you and kind of how are you meeting halfway? If you want to know about your attraction, if you want to know about your recruitment, if you want to know about how your development and engaging is, what was missing in the onboarding process, it will all be told to you through the data of the last stage and that separation. What does that look like? What is your process and what is it like when you part ways with an employee? What does that look like? In back-to-back episodes with Pepper Pastor, a dynamic professional passionate about collaborating with entrepreneurs, creatives, and tech startups, founder of Purpose and Policy, and who many may also know from her work as a celebrity hairstylist specializing in fine, thinning hair, we'll be diving into the neuroscience, the brain-based strategies behind how some of these organizations do it. The first episode will discuss employee life cycles and what they look like in hair and beauty businesses while the second episode will explore organizational and high-trust cultures. Now, not only does Pepper Pastor hold a dual Bachelor of Arts in Art History and Psychology from Towson University and a Master of Arts in Organizational Psychology from William James College, she's a doctoral candidate in Neuroscience and Leadership Psychology also at William James College and holds affiliations with the Society of Industrial and Organizational Psychology, the American Psychological Association, and the Institute for Social and Emotional Intelligence. Additionally, she is certified with the Fearless Organization Scan, the Institute for Social and Emotional Intelligence, and the Leadership Academy with the University of Texas. 
With a solid foundation in neuroscience, she brings a unique perspective to the realm of work behavior, utilizing neuroscience principles to shape the development of executive functioning. And so it should come as no surprise, really, that we decided to tap into her field of expertise for both parts of this conversation, meaning that we're going to be touching on crafting high-trust cultures, conducting insightful assessments and analyses, driving talent development, navigating intricate team dynamics, and fostering cultural and emotional intelligence. For those unfamiliar with purpose and policy, let's begin with this. It's not just a workplace. Also a canvas for cultivating innovation and excellence, Pepper is pivotal in steering the company toward a future where neuroscience and organizational development seamlessly converge. Pepper, what an impressive and fascinating background you have. Thank you so much for joining me. Also, I'm really, really happy we're finally doing this. Yes, thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. And listen, I'm, I'm just so grateful for your time. Between everything that you do, like I'm not even sure how you were able to sneak this one into your schedule, um, but I'll take it. So listen, Pepper, I know from having had a few brainstorming and catch-up calls with you that you have such unique insights to share, and I want to spend as much time as possible on that. But before we do, um, maybe just quickly for context, I'd love for you to share a bit more about what brought you over to the field of psychology from having a very like highly successful career in the beauty industry, and maybe more specifically, what brought you to organizational psychology? Because your research isn't just related to this industry. You're looking at small businesses in all industries. Yeah, no, that was a hard one. It, it wasn't something that happened overnight. Um, my career shifted. I, I moved. I was born and raised in the, on the East Coast, worked and had business in, in New York City. And then I met my now husband um, in Austin, Texas, and I moved. And that um, that shifted a lot of different things for me in terms of my priorities and what I felt my sense of purpose was. And if anybody's ever been in that, it's not easy to to know that where you currently are is not where you want to be, mm -hmm. but you don't know where you want to be. <laughs> just, <laughs> just not there. <laughs> yeah. And and that's what started happening. And I remember, like you know, I was still traveling, doing a lot of big hair shows, doing um, celebrities, film, what all, you know, all these things. And and I would dread getting up and going and packing my kit and going to these things and. You know, it was almost like a visceral feeling when I would fly back into New York of landing on the airplane and being like, oh, I don't want to be here, you know? Mm. Um, but I felt like I was like the little fish swimming upstream and going against the current. And I finally, so to your, to your answer question, kind of did a lot of work on, you know, what is my purpose and what what is it about the hair industry and people and and where can I see that? Because I know a lot of hairstylists really, you know, or people in the beauty beauty industry really struggle with, you know, if their bodies kind of give out or, or just not mm -hmm. what they want to do anymore, they don't feel like their skills relate to other things. And that is just entirely not true. Um, and so yeah. that was the shift for me is like, what, what are my skills? And looking at psychology, I had 25 years, you know, working behaviorally with you know, with human beings. Yeah. Um, and that was powerful. And I think the biggest thing for me was the shift in creativity. And I remember being on stage and, hey, Pepper, we want you to do this, design, design this, do this. And I was like, eh, I hit it. I like, that was no longer creative for me. Mm. Um, and so the whole idea of school and the human brain and 
statistics and mathematics and all this, which you would have never thought that actually became really creative for me. And so that's where I kind of married the two was the human brain, um, you know, this, this human behavior, and then looking at research and analyses and lo and behold, I realized, you know, organizational psychology. So. Mm. Can you tell me more about, you know, your, your feelings of like, I guess, like the fatigue that you had around the the hair and beauty industry? Was it mainly the toll from traveling that played into maybe wanting to switch to something completely different career-wise? Because from attending a talk by who many know as the burnout professor in the industry, I know that there's a very high percentage of people in um, the beauty industry that experience burnout at some point in their career. So I was wondering if maybe you related to that at all. It's, you know, and this is interesting with burnout. Burnout, you know, a lot of times doesn't come from one yeah. particular avenue, right? It, it's a it's a whole approach, right? And and it takes a long time over because we are our stress tolerance of how long it takes for us to be in a burnout state for us actually to burn out. Mm-hmm is a significant amount of time in terms of tolerance. I mean, the human body and the human brain and our neurobiology is, is kind of designed to, to manage this for, mm-hmm. for a significant period, right? But then that's when all these other elements say, so that's why I say when I was landing on the airplane, I, I could feel it in my body. And you have to acknowledge it when you start to feel it physically manifest itself. You can feel your the tension and you know, the, these different um, physical sensations and a lot of people are, will ignore it. So what had happened for me was I had been moving in burnout for a long time. To your point, I was traveling. I and you and I were having a conversation about how we manage our social media of all these different personas and these different balances we have. And I, yeah. I, I had a bridal industry. I was an educator. I had an agent in, you know, in the celebrity role. And none of them made sense together and I couldn't figure it out. It was, you know, it was all, it was, it was very stressful. So it's a stress coming from all angles of being a high performer. Mm-hmm. I had to perform for a big beauty brand. So I had to I had to bring that creativity, but the interesting thing is the creativity, if you left me alone and let me just put headphones on, if anybody listening had worked backstage with me, they know I won't talk. I'll put on headphones and I don't want to be interrupted. Yeah. (laughs) And that's like complete opposite of what we know in the salon. Like how offensive would that be if you were like, oh, hey client, I'm going to put on headphones. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you the amount of times I have fantasized about doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was the travel. And I know, I mean, the, the, one of the biggest things that I said to myself with choosing a new career was that I don't want it to have to always be on an airplane. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to always have to be in person. And I, I can't tell you how many other people in the beauty industry that would relate to this is that they don't want to have to show up in the morning to go to a salon or a shoot or whatever that may be for that to be the sole source of their income. Mm. It's very scary. Right. And then we experienced that, what that looked like, you know, during the pandemic. Um, so I needed a source of income that I, I could do from anywhere yeah. um, and, and not have to be in person. And that was very, very important for me. Right. So how long have you been doing research for, or I don't know, maybe the better question is how long did it take you to officially take the leap into neuroscience and psychology related work? How has this taken? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, it took, so when I came, uh, like 2015 was, that was when I started to transition, mm-hmm. um, still in the beauty, beauty industry, still traveling. It was around 2017 that I knew something had to change. And right. so that's, you know, the length in which burnout you can continue in is, it's astonishing. Yeah. Right. And then that's when you, when you're, you, you're in it, you end it and you look back and you're like, how the hell did I function in that to that level for that long? Um, Truly. But the, you know, the body, we can do that. So it was about 2017. So I went through the process of, you know, you have to take GREs, all this, these things to go to grad school. I was very fortunate that I had an undergraduate in clinical psychology and, and art history. So I had already had a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you to my dad because I've been doing hair <laughs> since. <laughs> Thanks, dad, since I was seventeen. And at twenty, my dad said, "I know this. You're really great at this. You're really successful. Good for you. But I need you to have a college education. Use it or not. I don't care. What can we do to make you have this?" So, beauty, the beauty industry, beauty, you know, doing hair in the salon, put me through college as mm-hmm. an undergrad. So I give everything to that, and now it's done it again, where I. I still, I've been in graduate school now for, I'll be at the end of six years. So in six months, I'll have finished my doctorate. Um, very exciting for that. So I have my master's degree in or- organizational psychology. Um, and then I'll be finishing my doctorate in um, an area of neuroscience, neuroscience and neuropsychology um, around leadership psychology. Amazing. So I study leadership behaviors and kind of the brain-based approaches around why are people incredible leaders, what makes people ineffective leaders, and, and what's the, the, the brain relation uh, of functioning around that Um and so, yeah, it's, it's been a very long journey. And, you know, when I look back, I'm like, God, it's been a long time since I've, I, I've been in academia now for six years, you know, so it's not, yeah, it, it hasn't just been a workshop. You know I mean? Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> well, so you mentioned something off air that I think is worth addressing here too. Um, you said that your relationship to the hair and beauty industry, uh, you know, on our first discovery call, you said that you wanted to shift out of it altogether. But it seems as though maybe amidst your research, all of all the industries to show support, the beauty one was the one that stood out. So I guess, how has that show of support felt to you? And where would you say you stand when it comes to what you want to bring to the industry now from an organizational psychology standpoint? Yeah, no, and that that's, that's some, thanks for that, because that's something to kind of point out because I've had this conversation with other people. So if they're listening to the podcast, they're like, Bepper, you're in the, you know, you're talking in the beauty space. Cause, and, and again, to your point of burnout, that's what happens in burnout. When you get burnout of something, you don't ever want to look at it again. <laughs> and so, you know, when I, when I got into grad school, I was like, F the beauty industry, I'm done. I don't want that, you know, and people would reach out to me like, Hey, can you use, you know, this new knowledge in the beauty industry? Nope. I don't work with the beauty industry. You know, I were, I started working with school districts and superintendents and a lot of tech companies here in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. you know, architectural design firms, anything. but the and you know when you when you process burnout and when you heal from burnout, and so that's what the six years has been for me too, is the processing of that, the the increase in in uh, new confidence in another area, right? Because that yeah. takes time too to become a learner again. 
Um, and in that process, it's been really beautiful because I've started my research um, right now for, for my, my final attempt at becoming um, at my doctorate. And um, my research has been in small businesses across the United States. And, and thank you to you and Forrest for, for plugging some of that for me with my research. So thank you. Um, but the beauty industry has really showed up for me in that. And I, I have a lot of gratitude for that. Mm. So it's, it's kind of reshifted that for me. Yeah, I imagine that's been very healing. Well, I suppose this is um, the perfect segue to start talking about employee life cycles in hair and beauty businesses. Um, and maybe we can start with your impressions or thoughts on this statement, which is pretty much what you'll read in, I say, like 80% of business-related articles online. So here it goes. The employee life cycle is the roadmap to engagement. Would you agree with that? It's a pretty broad statement, but you know, maybe a smooth way into the topic. Say it again, the employee. The employee life cycle is the roadmap to engagement. And how would I how would I respond to that? Yeah, I mean, like, would you agree with that statement? Because it seems anyways to me that it's it's a widely accepted idea online. Oh gosh, you're really not gonna like a conversation with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm gonna poke holes in everything. So we it. say the employee life cycle is the key, you know, it's the key to success for increasing engagement. That's what the, the statement is saying. Yeah. That's no different in saying that X blow dryer with X technology is the key to shiny, healthy hair, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, this blow dryer may give you shiny, healthy hair more likely than this old model, right? Yeah. But we also know shiny, healthy hair requires good shampoo, good conditioner, healthy trims, not damaged from color. Like there's all these other variables, yeah. right? So my answer to that is engagement. And, and I guess it's kind of a two-way answer, right? Engagement can come from the employee life cycle, but engagement is a component of the employee life cycle. Gotcha. Right. It's, it's our middle stage within the employee life cycle. But the success in the employee life cycle is the cycle itself. Mm. It, ha it has to, to be successful if you picture a circle. Right. Yeah. And we picture, you know, visualize, we picture the employee life cycle as a circle. A lot of us, you know, in biology class, we know what the human life cycle looks like. If we picture there's a circle and the beginning of the circle is a baby. <laughs> And then it grows and the end of the circle is an, is an elderly person at the end of the life cycle, yeah. right? And so we all picture that. So it's the same in a, in a business and an employee life cycle. It happens on an organizational level and it happens on an employee level. Well, let's talk about the stages because you've given an example of like the, the human stages levels. But I guess what are the employee life cycle stages when it comes to hair and beauty businesses or businesses in general? whichever way you want to tackle it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So the very first stage, so the stages are there's attraction. Mm -hmm. and that's the very first stage. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll name out the stages and I'll kind of give you a, a top liner of what each stage means. There's attraction, recruitment, onboarding, development, engagement, and separation. And where I, where I really have a focus and where I really want to give back and support the beauty industry is, is being a provider for the holistic approach mm. for this and just sharing knowledge for 
success for an employee and for the business, for the organization, you need to hit all of these points. So you need to hit the attraction, the recruitment, the onboarding, the development, the engagement, and the separation. There cannot be a focus on one area all the time and no focus on another. Mm. And so when we break it down, attraction is, is when people think of your business, what do they think of? Be it clients or, or um you know, other business professionals, other people in industry, what do they know about your, your business? Do they like it? Do they not like it? What's, what's the, um, like your perception, like what are people perceive Mm. about you, right? Like how, how, what do they know about you? You know, like what would they say if someone brought up this person's name or this company's name, what does it make you think of? Right. Right. And so it's an alignment. Is that, is that how you want to be perceived as a company? Right. (laughs) Right. Or do you want to be perceived this way? So that's the alignment, right? And then you have recruitment. So a key of recruitment is, is you're going to have a higher likelihood of successful recruitment the more you're, you're, the more attractive you are, right? Yeah. If you're not a very attractive company to work for, your recruitment efforts are going to be very exhaustive because you're going to have to work very hard on that. Um, and that can also be true if you just don't, you know, people don't know good or bad about you. They just don't know about you, yeah. right? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's hard too. Um, the onboarding is a, is a very overlooked area. And, and again, this is not just about salons. This is businesses in general. Um, because big companies have beautiful resources for each of these stages. They have departments dedicated to each of these stages. A small business doesn't, doesn't have those type of resources. Yeah. Um, Before I talked to you, I actually, my dad sent me a fantastic report of small businesses, both global and in the United States. And 99% of businesses in the United States are small businesses, 99%. The global statistic was 90% globally. Wow. 90%. And this is coming out of the World Bank. Yep. Um, and so 90% are um, of the world's businesses are small businesses, and they make up 50% of worldwide employment. That is, yeah, that is like massive. So I found, yeah, so I found the stat in Canada. So this is according to the Bank of, uh, the Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs or like the BDC um, Mm -hmm. here. And they said that there's more than 1.2 million businesses in Canada, 98% of which have less than 100 employees. Unbelievable. And so that, so to, and just for clarity, so um, of what does a small business mean? So small business can be under 100 employees. Per my data and my um, research analysis, I went under 500 employees because in the United States, the Small Business Association, they, they run the, these measurements and there can be different in manufacturing and retail and different industries. Um, so I kind of created um, a round number with that, but it can be anywhere between 250 to 500 employees being a small business. In other countries, it's under 100. Um, but the largest percent, and I, and I find this to be 100% true, you can correct me with this, in the beauty industry is a lot of beauty salons are under 10 employees, and that's technically considered a micro-business. Oh, I mean, that sounds about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so we've got the onboarding stage that 
often gets overlooked because of a lack of resources. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I can I can already hear salon owners being like, you know, I'm already so stretched between social media, managing the team, being behind the chair, doing all the marketing, the admin. Like, is it possible even to not overlook this stage if you have minimal capacity? So how, that's a great question. So, and, the, and there's, again, there, there are so many resources nowadays with, with like AI, you know, the, I know there's a big talk about how to use AI in the beauty industry. This is one of the areas that you could use AI, right? And there's also other applications out there that are beneficial in onboarding. So this is a very common problem. I work with a lot of tech startups, mm. um, common problem in tech startups because they need to hire somebody. And in the shortest period of time, we need to make them high performing, doing the job as quick as possible. Yeah. The turnaround from me hiring you to you performing needs to be absolutely fast. And we ask that in a salon. You're hired okay, you've got the clients, go. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> or you're a receptionist or whatever that looks like. And, and this is challenging, right? So in the onboarding process, and this is an area we'll talk about, is the, the keys are to establish the norms. And this is where the healthy setup it is for good organizational culture, right? Yeah. What are the norms of which I'm walking into? And these norms can be um, unconscious behaviors. They There can be things called artifacts or how do people dress? What's the design and the decor in the environment? Uh, are we online? Are we in person? These types of things are the artifacts. So what are the assumptions around these, these artifacts and the onboarding processes? People will need to get to know that. You and I, when we got on, on this, this call together to, to record this, we were onboarding. And one of the first things I said to you, I said, I want to set up some norms with you of how we talk mm -hmm. because there may be times that I pause and will you be okay with that? Right. Yeah. And so those are little conversations of, of creating norms that you can do for a successful onboarding. Now, one, you create norms. And so you just have to clear those out. How do you like to work? This is how I like to work. Where can we meet on it? And the other is I do this with, so I'm a, assistant professor with my, my TA in um, advanced statistics and advanced statistics. You know, when we have our students, the, it, it's very strategic in terms of like, this is the answer. Right? <laughs> there is, it's statistics. Yeah. And so how can I guide the students? Because I do a lot of the grading. And so we set up an entire cheat sheet of if they don't answer this, here's what I want you to do. Right. And so you can have these cheat sheets. I worked with a salon owner who was really overwhelmed with how to onboard receptionists because the turnover with the receptionist was very high. So we created strategies in writing and now we do it on video. Like I have my mm. salon owner sometime record a video that then the, the, the receptionist can put it in a headset and, oh, okay, you want me to answer like that? Or they could practice at home or whatever, or you can send that to them two weeks before they start the job. Yeah. Right. So a lot of onboarding happens before you start the job. Here's the expectations of what, what is your job role looking like? What do we need you to do in tasks? And then what does the culture look like? So then we jump to development. Once you're in that, you're good at your job, you're performing, how do you develop? How, you know, what does it look like to take the next steps? What does it look like to um, advance mm -hmm. in your career? And living kind of with development, it is separate, but it, it's within the same stage, 
is how are people engaged? And this is a big one that people struggle with is the engagement because this is real human behavior of this, this kind of um, looking into how do we manage human behavior? How do we motivate people? How do we get people to increase performance? I mean, this one, you can, you know, be interested in business and Google will pop up a zillion different (laughs) things of like, this is every company's problem at any size, like the largest, the engagement, this is huge. Um, And all of these areas can be measured, right? So these are all measurable areas and and I'm going to go over the last one too, but the measurements on this is just a little bit foreign in the beauty industry, not only the beauty industry, but it's very foreign um, for small businesses because it's just kind of, we got to keep moving, right? Yeah. We got to, okay, then that person's not going to work here anymore. Okay, we got to, we got to get the next one in, right? It's, it's very fast moving. Um, but the last one is the most overlooked and it's the most overlooked. It's the most uncomfortable and I like to think that when something's uncomfortable, that's what we need to look at the most, mm. right? Like that's what we need to lean into is that discomfort. Because if you want to know about your attraction, if you want to know about your recruitment, if you want to know about how your development and engaging is, what was missing in the onboarding process, it will all be told to you through the data of the last stage and that separation. What does that look like? What is your process and what is it like when you part ways with an employee? What does that look like? Mm. I, I do want to talk more about the separation stage. And I also want to bring us back very briefly before we move on too far um, to the development and engagement stage, because I find it very interesting that engagement is something businesses struggle with when I, and I say this thinking about the hair and beauty industry specifically, but when you think about development, um, you know, I think that's something that we're really solid at. You know, I don't think there's a single salon owner I've spoken to on the podcast over the years who hasn't been super keen on helping their staff grow, attend conferences, get more educations, certifications, which makes me wonder is the fear of seeing an employee grow to the point where they want to part ways and do their own thing is hurting the engagement that you have in the salon while they're there. And what I mean by that is if, if, if the fear is strong enough, are some people maybe unconsciously gatekeeping some stuff? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. These were just thoughts that, you know, were going through my head as you were talking about those two stages. Yes. There's lots of thoughts in my head right now too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the where what I want to answer for you and talk about is and and this can look very different culturally and it can also look very different um based on what generation you you came up in. Mm-hmm. And that's to what does it look like when you grow and develop an employee and they want to do their own thing. So that's the one thing that I want to address. The other that I want to address is when you shared with me, well, engagement, this, the beauty industry is known for developing people. Yeah. Right. And this is very true. But what did you say to me? What, like you said, we're going to, you know, conferences, we're doing these things, but what do you know to be true of what are they learning? Give me like two things. What are they learning? Um, well, I guess a lot of it is technique based and then maybe depending on the role, maybe some staff would get access to leadership oriented conferences too. Just maybe not everyone. 
Well, but, but to your point, they do have access. I mean, I can hop on Instagram right now and um, I'll, I'll give a shout out to my friend, Nina Tulio. If you want to learn about numbers, you know, you've got your software for us. If you want numbers, it's, it's all in-house for you. We have knowledge and education and systems around the numbers of how to grow revenue components of your business incredible tools out there, right? That's true. We have incredible tools. I can hop on Instagram right now and learn any type of haircut I could possibly want within 90 seconds. <laughs> Done, right? I can learn. I Give me five minutes. I will know the latest balayage techniques and I will probably have watched seven videos in five minutes. Like we have it. We got it. We're good, right? That is not the people component. And that is the parallel in all industries, okay? Whether we're talking that you work at the biggest technology firm in the country with all the resources at your fingertips of learning the, the newest, latest software, you name it, right? Technique and skill of what what you actually do with your hands, you know, whether you're typing, doing hair, whatever you're doing, is very, very different than what, what we'll even call the emotional intelligence component, right? That is the people, people and behavioral piece. Now, if we shift, shift that conversation and we said, we are doing very well in our people development and our, we have highly skilled staff, okay? Yeah. yeah, we might hear that a lot, but guess what I'm, I'm gonna hear more complaints about? This one didn't come in wearing the right outfits. This is not how we dress here. This one is five minutes late and doesn't respect that we need to be on time for a client. Mm. This one wants to leave their trash in the break room, whatever, right? (laughs) We are ridden with human behaviors that other people don't love meshing with and could be doing better. (laughs) And and I bring up emotional intelligence because, you know, when, when we when we think of emotional intelligence, what we're looking at is essentially um, how well aware are you of your own behavior and the beha- have, what's your acknowledgement of the behaviors of others around you and kind of how are you meeting halfway? Yeah. So when we talk about engagement, it's a, it's a human development problem, not a skills problem. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is hard. And that brings us back to the other point we wanted to share together with, you know, with an owner wants to develop and they spend all this, I mean, the investment and time and money to develop somebody for them to then go on their own, that can be generational, but it's also, it hurts, right? It hurts. Like, and you got to acknowledge the pain and that I developed I, I put time and energy and effort and you want to leave me. <laughs> and and it also means like, not only do you want to leave me, but you think that you're better than me because you're going to go and do more and, and, and greater than me. Right. And so it hurts. But if we, and this, this is where leadership comes in. Okay. This is beyond management of how you manage a, a top performing, a, a top talent, mm. but this is where the real leadership comes in. The leadership is, that hurts. And this is also emotional intelligence. That hurts. I acknowledge that hurts for me, but I acknowledge your talent and I am so excited for you. Yeah. How can I support you in that? Yeah. Because both can coexist. Right. Like just because, yeah. Yeah. You got it. 
You got it. And when we talk about attraction, let me tell you, I was a salon owner. I was a salon owner. And when I'm such a New Yorker, let me tell you, let me tell you. <laughs> you know, I was a salon owner and I was also an education director, be, be it at you know, corporate level in, in brands, but also in, um, in, in salons. And I mean, I had a staff as an education director, I think in a salon, we had like three or four locations in New York City of 90 something people, yeah. right? And the at the time, because this was cultural, I grew up in a generation and a culture that you will never, you will never and should never be better than the owner. The owner's name is on the door. They are the star. You will not be the star. You try to outshine them. You got to go. Yeah. That was where I grew up in. All right. Now, every, even though everyone wants to say it, oh, we're community, the ego is still there and it still hurts. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it's a it's a different it's a little different space because as we're looking at this, the statistics of small businesses, the ability to go and open your own salon is significantly greater than it was 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. We can have a small space. But the leadership component of this is in your attraction, how you attract. As a business owner, I would help shift, let them go. How can you support them? Because as they grow and become stars, you are the one that they will then reflect to and say, hey, I came out of there. That's where I started from. Mm. And then you know, and that's what was so important to me is I want to know that I mean, and I can list off to you the amount of people that have worked for me that, you know, I mean, they're very, very talented, skilled people. And I am freaking honored that I was their first fashion show, right? Yeah. Like, I know that. I don't need to share it, but we both know that. And that means a lot. Yeah. And I think it like, you know, having the ability or like being in a space where like you do support your stars leaving and, you know, doing their own thing, I think in turn will like actually help your attraction and recruitment stages as a business. And I'm I'm saying this when I'm thinking about like Tony and Guy, for instance, the amount of like people who have said like, I started out in like a Tony and Guy salon or this or that, like the name of that brand still to like wherever they are in their career is still like, that's where like everything started for me and how I got to here. And you'll always remember that. And it's beautiful. Right? And yeah. And like it. when people hear that, they'll be like, oh, well, that's like a reputable brand that I maybe I want to work for, like coming out of, you know, school yes. or something. Like, I think it just. And yeah. that's the word I was looking for earlier, by the way, was reputation. What is the. No, right. Right. So but to your point, it's it's a choice as an owner. You're an owner. Good for you. But what type of leader do you want to be? Mm. That's that's the question. Do you want to be completely grounded by your own in- inability to grow beyond your ego. Yeah. Because if you can grow beyond your ego, your reputation and your attraction will grow. If those things grow, your culture is going to be a more enjoyable culture. And if there's anything I can tell you on the data and the statistics is the more enjoyable culture is, the more performance and the higher retention you will have. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about all things culture really shortly. Um, but before we do, do you think there's any 
this might be a curveball. Do you think there's any inherent preconceptions about salons and spas that we have um, that negatively impacts the employee life cycle as we know it? <sighs> that That's a hard one. And it's a hard one because it's a, it's a lens, right? It's a lens in which we work from it. And that's also a challenge that happens in the attraction and, and the recruitment stage. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because unlike dating, unlike anything that's new, in the beginning, we're going to put our best foot forward, Yeah. right? So we're going to always show you the, the most amazing components. You know, if I, if I go through and, and show you my, um, my resume, my CV, and then write my bio, oh my God, look at what a special person I am. Okay, good for me. Like, it's just well-written. <laughs> like, does, that, does that make me someone you want to be around? That, that, that doesn't answer that, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in the beauty industry and also the restaurant industry, I think they fall victim to this lens of of the the balance of um, of class and beauty, and you know, no one goes like, "Yeah, I want to have a kind of shitty salon," you know, that the floors <laughs> being ripped up. Like everybody, you know, envisions a be- that creating a beautiful space. When they say, "I'm going to leave the salon," or why? Because they want to be the owner, and they want to own, own the environment, right? Mm. It's not just about owning the, the space, it's the environment, right? They want to own what it looks like when you walk through the door, what the experience is like. And yeah. that's where the training comes in in the beauty industry and the restaurant industry. But there's a, a tip to it, right? Like a tip meaning like, um, uh, like a polarization in the sense of um, it's an oxymoron where you want to be exclusive, but you want to yap about being inclusive. Mm. Does that make, so I want to be a high end salon and have the best employees, but for the client, what does that feel like to walk into? You know, I know salons here, I know salons, restaurants here in Austin. Oh, you know, this is the best of the, the chef. And, but when I walk in, do I feel welcome? That that's the full circle, right? Mm-hmm. Of mm-hmm. of the engagement, and and that is if you get too stuck in the balance and the employee life cycle of what the attraction looks like and that initial entry stage, and you don't think about what it looks like to be in the moment, there's a there's mm-hmm. a miss and a gap there. You've got my head spinning real fast with a lot of thoughts here. Um, that is such an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, because you've, we've all been to a restaurant where we felt that or a clothing shop, right? Mm-hmm. A beautiful clothes where we wanted to experience. Yeah. I want to come here and spend money, but you're not making me feel good. You're, I feel like you're judging me while I'm in here. So therefore, I'm yeah. not going to spend money. Right. Yeah. And I mean, with society shifting into an experience economy over the past decade, I I think now more than ever, businesses don't get a second chance at a first impression. Right. Like you can have all the award winning accolades and recognitions possible. But if the experience isn't it for the client, they're never going to come back. There are far too many options out there to have a reason to come back and risk having the same experience that didn't meet the original expectations. 
Totally. And not to interrupt you, but it's, this is the point where the emotional intelligence comes back in. And I do want to, let me, let me preface when I say emotional intelligence, you know, what, what the heck do I mean by that? Right? So emotional intelligence is actually a makeup. It's not just one word. It's a makeup of a multitude of, of characteristics of human behavior, right? So in most models are like 26 of them. So it's, it's how well do you make decisions? What's your ability to focus on tasks? How do you collaborate with others? How resilient are you? How flexible are you? How well do you um, control your impulses? How much empathy do you have? These make up emotional intelligence, right? So everybody has these to varying degrees throughout their life in different times. Um, I'll plug myself. If anybody ever wants to know what their actual EQ is as a quotient, um, I, I run a test, right? So I can tell you what your emotional intelligence is. Zoe, we should do this with you. We'll do this. I was we'll- going to say, I'd be super interested to yeah, do it. Then you know. <laughs> but there's a lot of growth that comes out of that. Because yeah. to the point is that how you felt in that store and how the shop owner, the salon owner, the receptionist, the restaurant uh, host, how they, how they worked with you was not about the skills and how they were taught to bring you to a table, right? It wasn't the process. It was the human behavior. I think if there's anything that we can say to wrap up part one is that the idea that an employee's journey starts with them joining your salon or spa and ends when they leave one day couldn't be further from the truth. Before they join you, they'll know about you. It might be through your marketing, your website, maybe they'll have followed you on social media for years, or maybe they'll have been friends with someone who already works in your business. And as we learned in these last 40 minutes with Pepper, their journey doesn't end on their last day of employment either. If you design your employee life cycle intentionally, you'll find yourself with brand ambassadors in and out of your salon or spa long after they were a client or part of your team. It might even help with planning your transition out of the salon one day. So stick around for part two of this fascinating conversation with Pepper Pastor, founder of Purpose and Policy, coming right up in episode 276. And thanks for listening to Forest FM. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. As always, you can head over to forest.com forward slash FM to catch all the latest from the show and check out all the links and resources mentioned throughout the episode. And if you've got any feedback, be sure to let us know. Send us an email at forestfm at forest.com. Brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Forest FM episodes air weekly, sharing inspiring stories from the salon floor and amplifying community voices all over the globe. In your salon, we're at the heart of it. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments.